Good morning, my name is Brett. I'm one of the pastors here. If you have a Bible with you, would you please open it to the book of Psalms, to Psalm 73. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can borrow one from these black chair pockets. If you don't own a Bible, you can, you can keep that one. Uh, the book of Psalms, if you're not familiar with the Bible, it's almost smack dab in the middle. So if you just kind of find the middle and crack it open, you should be pretty close. Don't be ashamed to use the table of contents. Uh, we're turning to the book of, of Psalms, specifically Psalm 73. If you're using one of the black paperback Bibles, that's on page 415. And in the gold Bibles, it's page 278. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'll be doing a bit of that this week, and I apologize in advance. Now, uh, we will get to that. We'll read that psalm in just a moment. But um, we are on the cusp. Adam mentioned it. We're on the cusp of a new year. And this is the time when, when often uh, people take stock of their lives. They ask, am I the person that I want to be? Am I the person that I ought to be? Am I, am I heading in the direction I want to be heading with my life? And I'm not this morning going to recommend New Year's resolutions. I'm not going to give you a New Year's resolution I think you should take. But I want us to see in this psalm something. Not a resolution, not a new habit to pick up, but a posture of heart. A disposition, an attitude towards life that if we embrace it, if it becomes as true of us as it was of the person who wrote this psalm, it's going to change how we experience everything that heads our way in 2019. And the attitude we're going to see in this psalm has to do with our confidence or our lack of confidence in the goodness of God. Now, I grew up in a, a church where there was this regular kind of call and response between the pastor and the congregation where the pastor would say, God is good. And the congregation would say, all the time. Some of you guys know this. And you'd say, and all the time, God is good. That's right. And, and that would be just rhythm of our life together. And it's easy to sound confident in the goodness of God, but are we actually confident in it? If, if God is good, then why do dishonest and unscrupulous people get promoted at work while those who labor with integrity get passed over? If God is good, then why is it the church-going family in which the kid gets sick, but the neighbors who care nothing for God enjoy perfect health. If God is good, why do those who have always been generous, why are they the ones that end up short at the end of the month, while those who keep all their money for themselves always seem to have no lack? If God is good, why is life so unfair? Why do those who want to do the right thing, who want to live for God, why have they have it so hard? And those who just seem to utterly ignore him, why do they seem to have it so easy? Have you ever wondered that? Asaph, who wrote the psalm, did. Asaph was, he was the music director appointed by King David. He was like the worship leader for all of Israel. He led the music at the temple when, when God's people would gather. And the Bible tells us that he wasn't just a, a song leader, that he was a prophet and he was a writer of the Psalms. That The Holy Spirit led him in writing Psalms, songs for the people of God to last millennia. And we have 12 of them in the book of Psalms. This is one. It's a song for God's people. It's a model prayer. And the, the way he structures it, the way he lays it out, it's a story from Asaph's life. And it's not a story in which Asaph is the hero. It's a story in which God rescues Asaph, not from enemies, not from physical danger, but from spiritual danger, in which God moves him from envy and bitterness 
to joy and contentment. And, and God put this in the Bible so that we could follow his footsteps, so we could travel the same road. I don't know about you. I don't know if you feel like you're in a place where you wouldn't mind starting 2019 from a place of contentment and joy. And that's what this is here for. So please follow along as I read Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death, their bodies are fat and sleek, they are not in trouble as others are, they're not stricken like the rest of mankind, therefore pride is their necklace, violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end." Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream, when one awakes, O Lord, when you roused yourself, you despised them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you, but for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Would you pray with me again? Our Father, we want to approach this book with humility and with trembling We want to approach it as you speaking to us. This book is your word. It is you speaking. And your words are what we need. They're our food. They're our comfort. They're our life. They're our joy. And so we ask that you would come by your spirit and that you would speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we we want to listen to Asaph's story in Psalm 73 in four chapters this morning, what he saw, what he thought, what he remembered, and what he gained. And you should have a bulletin, on the bulletin in the back, you should have an outline if you want to follow along. What he saw, 
was that life seems easier for the ungodly than for the godly. Now, it takes some vulnerability. Asaph, remember, he's one of like the heroes of Israel. He's the song leader. He's, he's, he's this public face. He's this spiritual leader. It's got to take some vulnerability for him to admit what he admits in verses 1 to 3. He says, I know that God is good, but I had almost stumbled. I had almost slipped. And the reason is because I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He said, I looked at the lives of those who care nothing for God, and I compared it to my life, and I thought, I think they have it better than I have it. I saw their prosperity. And, and that word there, you might have heard the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace and abundance, well-being, flourishing. <clears throat> and that's what he says he saw in the lives of the wicked. They were flourishing. And he says, and I wasn't flourishing, and I wanted what they have. I was envious. What did he see when he, when he looked at them? Look at verse 4. They have no pangs until death. They're healthy. They have no chronic pain. They have no debilitating allergies. They have no health, heart disease. They have no cancer. They just, they feel great. They're at peak strength, right? And they're, they have these beautiful bodies. He says they're fat and sleek. Not, not fat like overweight, but not starving. They're filled out. They're, they're, these, they, they're healthy. They're, their bodies are great. He says that they, in, in verse 5, or verse, verse five, they're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. They just kind of float above the trouble that all the rest of us have. They're just not touched by family conflict. They're not touched by unemployment. They're not touched by money troubles. They just kind of float through. And he says, I, I can see these things in their lives, and yet they're not even pretending to believe in God. They're not even pretending to want to please him. He says, in, in verse 6, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. They, just, they wear it on the outside of their clothes. They are totally open about the fact that they care nothing for God. They oppress other people openly. They speak against God and boast about themselves openly. And people see this. They see how well these people are doing. And they say, verse 11, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Does God not see this? Does he not care? Is he even out there? Asaph sees it, and it troubles him deeply. It's not a philosophical question for him. He, he wants to know, how is this fair? Why is this the way that it is? Why do bad people have it so good? He says in verse 12, Behold, these are the wicked always at ease. They have it so easy. They increase in riches. He wants to understand why it is that this is the way God leads the world. And the more he thinks about it, the more unfair it seems. So he records for us, secondly, what he thought. And what he thought was, godliness gains me nothing. Look at what he says in verse 13. All in vain have I kept my heart clean. He's saying, I haven't just been good on the outside. I have sought to only desire what is pleasing to God. I've sought to keep my heart clean. He says, I've washed my hands in innocence. I don't do anything that I'm not supposed to do. And what do I get for it? He says, it's all in vain. It's gained me nothing. The people whose hearts are filthy, the people who have done violence, they're flourishing, and, and it's all in vain. What I have done is all in vain. What has it gotten me? All day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. All I get from my, from my, my trouble, from my hard work for God, all I get is trouble all day, every day. That's how Asaph feels. That's what he's thinking. Now, he, doesn't, he has enough sense not to say that out loud. 
He doesn't speak that to anyone. Verse 15 said, if I had, if I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children, but he's thinking it. It's, that's what's churning around on the inside. He could not understand why God would run the world this way. Now, aren't you glad that the writers of Scripture speak this way sometimes? Aren't you glad you're not the only one? The, the writers of Scripture, they aren't these golden heroes, these people who are just pristine and kind of set apart, and, and they never struggle. Faith is never a fight for them. That's not how it is. They wrestle with God too. They had to fight for faith. It wasn't easy for Asaph. So these words comfort us because they mean that when we look at the world and we say, this doesn't seem fair. I don't understand why this is the way it is. When we say that, we're in good company. The, the psalmist felt that too. But these words are also hard to swallow because when we see them laid out so starkly, when we see actually put on a page what we're thinking, we can already see that Asaph has a problem and it's the same problem we all often have. So what trap has Asaph, Asaph fallen into? Can you see where he's gone wrong? Asaph was using God to get what he really wanted. He thought his heart was pure and his hands were clean, but in his heart of hearts, at the very center of his life, what he wanted wasn't God. Not just God himself. He wanted an easy life, and he wanted God to give it to him. Now, it's not wrong to want to be healthy, right? It's not want wrong to want God to meet your needs. Jesus tells us to pray, give us our daily bread. But when we begin to demand it, when we begin to think that God owes it to us, when God just becomes a means to an end, that's when we get into trouble. God isn't a means to an end. He's not just useful. He's beautiful, and good, and glorious. He's the treasure of our lives, but subtly, quietly, we don't even notice it happening, but our hearts can get wrapped up in something God can give us rather than God himself. And in those times, often the most gracious thing God can do, which is what he did for Asaph, is he brings us into suffering. Because suffering tests us. It lays our hearts bare. When we suffer, we can see is it really God that I treasure? When hard things come, can I still trust him and praise him? Or is the treasure of my life just kind of things being easy, things being comfortable, having everything I need, so that when suffering comes, I just fall apart? The psalm, this psalm tests us, and it searches us. Why are we serving God really? For something he can give us? Or for him himself, just to love him and honor him no matter what comes our way. Underneath Asaph's envy, under his bitterness, under his complaint, was an idol. God wasn't his real God. His real God was an easy life. His problem is false worship, which means the only way out of where he's stuck is true worship, to see God as he is and to, to give his heart to him, to trust in him. And Asaph tells us that's exactly how things began to change. Because look at verse 16. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Asaph, for his imperfection, got this right. He didn't just sit in his doubts and stew on his complaint 
and say, I'm done with God until he answers my questions, until he makes this right, I'm done. He took his doubt and he took his envy and he took his bitterness and he went and worshiped. He went to the sanctuary. He took all his struggles to God and through worship, in the presence of God, he got a new perspective. He remembered something that he had forgotten. What was it? What he remembered is the goodness of the nearness of God. So his new perspective is, is actually best summarized in verse 28 of the psalm. But for me, it is good to be near God. Or as another translation put it, as for me, the nearness of God is my good. The goodness of God and the goodness of being near God is what Asaph rediscovers through worship. Not only is it in verse 28, but it's how he opens the psalm, the first words of the psalm, truly God is good to Israel. The reason he almost stumbled, the reason he nearly slipped was that he lost his grip on the goodness and the nearness of God. Because God's nearness, it isn't something we can see. We can't reach out and touch it. It's something we trust by faith. But Asaph began to focus only on what his eyes could see. All he could see was their lives seem easy and my life is hard. He lost perspective. But through approaching God in worship, he can see actually what really matters in life isn't whose life is easy and whose is hard. What matters is who's close to God and who's far from him. Because that doesn't just matter for our lives in this moment. It matters for our eternity. Now I want you to imagine up here a dot and a line continuing from that dot. Now, the math teachers are going to be bothered because if it, has, if it starts from a dot and it goes on forever, that's a ray. I'm going to call it a line, and we're just going to all pretend like that's real math, okay? So there's a dot, and I want you to imagine a line extending from that dot through that wall on forever, okay? That dot is your life in this world, your 70 or 90 or 50 or 30 years, and the line is your eternal life, which you're going to spend with God or not forever. Asaph had been comparing dots. He'd been saying, their dot looks better than my dot, and that doesn't seem fair. Their life is easier than my life. But when he takes on God's perspective, suddenly he can see not just the dot, but the line. This is what he says in verse 27. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. Back in verse 18, truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream, when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When he looks only at the dot, those who are far from God, they seem so secure. They're healthy. They have all the money they want. Everything's going easy for them. And he feels so insecure, but when he can see the line, he sees that they're actually totally insecure. They're, he says they're, they're in slippery places, that God sets them in slippery places, that they fall to ruin. They're, they're in such a precarious position because those who don't know God, who are far from him, if they never come to him for forgiveness and reconciliation, when they die, they enter a state of permanent distance from God. They spend eternity outside of his love and his goodness and his kindness. And they get, they get no second chance. And the only thing standing between them and that eternity is their one fragile life. They're just a car accident or a stroke or a tumor away from losing everything. They're just hanging by a thread. 
Asaph says in verse 20, it says, their life is like a dream when one awakens. You guys, you guys know how dreams work, right? In the middle of a dream, it seems so real. It just, it's all encompassing. It feels like that's your whole world. If it's, a, if it's a good dream, everything is wonderful. If it's a nightmare, everything is terrifying. But as soon as you awake, it just disappears like mist. It just, it, it goes so fast. Most of the time, we can't even remember what we were even dreaming about, right? A dream just, it just goes like that. And he's saying, that's our life in this world. It seems so real. It seems so all-consuming. And in just a moment, it's gone. But when Asaph looks at his line, what does he see? Look at the end of verse 24. Well, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will receive me to glory. Asaph's eternal home is glory. One day he's going to pass from this life and wake up in a perfect world, free from sin and sickness and fear and death. He's going to have a, a perfect body, free from pain. His needs will all be perfectly met. His joy will be perfectly full. And when he awakens in that world, the one who will be there to receive him into glory is the, is the God who made him and loves him and was with him every moment of his life from beginning to end. And he will spend eternity filled to overflowing with the love of that good God. That's his line. But the nearness of God isn't just for the line, it's for the dot too. Look at verse 21. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. He said, when I was so consumed with envy, when I was just looking at the dot, I was so unaware of your nearness. I was just like an animal towards you. I, I couldn't see it. But he says in verse 23, nevertheless, I am continually with you. Even when I didn't know you were there, you were there. Your nearness was with me continually, even when I was bitter, even when I was brutish, you were there. Now, in the dot, God is with him continually, and in his presence, he protects him. Look at verse 23. I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. So just like you just picture a little girl learning to walk, kind of unsteady on her feet, prone to slip, prone to fall, and her dad is right there with his hand to keep her from going down, right? To, she trips on the sidewalk and he just scoops her back up and she doesn't fall. That's why in verse 2, Asaph can say, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, but I didn't go all the way down because God was with me and he held my right hand. He was protecting me from what was coming. And God doesn't just protect him, he guides him. Verse 24, you guide me with your counsel. God leads his people. He uses his word, this book, to shape us, to shape our minds with wisdom. He works in the circumstances of our lives to make sure that our steps go just the direction he wants. When we don't know what to do, we pray for God to help us to know what to do. But even if we make the wrong decision, we know that he's our shepherd. He's going to make sure that we end up where he wants us to be. The nearness of God is a daily reality for those who belong to him in his presence, in his protection, in his guidance, and ultimately his reception into glory. When Asaph focused on the dot, the people far from God seemed so secure. He felt so insecure. But when he could see the line, he saw that they were the ones who were in danger, and he was eternally and completely safe in the hands of God. 
Those who have trusted in Christ are righteous in God's sight. They're adopted as his children and nothing can ever separate them from his love. Now, if you didn't have that, if you didn't know that God loved you and was always with you and would carry you for the rest of your life and into eternity, if you didn't have that, what would you give in order to get it? Everything, right? No, no price would be too great for that kind of assurance. And if you have it, is there anything you would trade for it? Would you trade it for health or for money or for a great retirement? No, right? It's a treasure of infinite worth. Before Asaph had been bitter because he didn't have health, he didn't have money, he didn't have ease, he didn't have what they have. But now he can see that he has something so much greater than that. He has God. God is near to me and I can never lose him. And through remembering that, what did he gain? Finally, what he gained was contentment in the face of uncertainty. Listen to what he says in verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. When he thinks about heaven, he doesn't mainly think about being free from pain. He doesn't mainly think about the people he'll be reunited with there. What he mainly thinks about is being in the nearness of God forever. Whom have I in heaven but you. And when he thinks about his life on earth, nothing consumes his imagination or his affections more than walking with God. He's done with envy. He was envious because he saw the wicked flourishing and thought, I can't be happy unless I have what they have. But now he knows that the only thing he really needs for happiness and for flourishing is God. And he has him and he can never lose him. There's nothing to envy. What did he gain? He gained contentment. He's satisfied in God. He doesn't need to chase the world. And his contentment isn't fragile. It's not the kind of thing that can shatter just when a bad day comes or he loses something unexpectedly. It's not based on his circumstances. It's resilient and confident. He says, my flesh may fail. I could get sick. I'm going to die. But when my flesh fails, God is my portion forever. He's my inheritance. He's my treasure. And I can't lose him even through death. He says, my heart may fail. I'm, I'm going to stumble again. My heart may give out. I might not love God in a week the way I love him now, but even then, God is the strength of my heart. He's not going to let me fall. He's going to uphold me. God is with me. He has my hand and will always bring me back. Nothing can touch Asaph's joy. He's totally content in the nearness of God, no matter what comes. His, his joy isn't found in health or money or success or family. That's not his good. His good is the nearness of God. John Patton was a missionary to the New Hebrides, which is now Vanuatu. It's, um, and he was a missionary to a tribe of cannibals, which is, that's a unique calling. Um, but God called him to it and God was, God was blessing it. He earned the trust of the, of the chief. He earned the trust of the tribe. And he began to have a ministry with them. But one day some friends of his came and said, Things have turned for you. The chief is, is no, you're no longer in his favor and your life is in danger. And so Patton had to go. He had to climb a chestnut tree and just spend a, a, a very difficult night, a harrowing night up in this tree. And this is how he described it in his memoirs. He said, I climbed into the tree and was left there alone in the bush. 
The hours I spent there live all before me as if it were but of yesterday. I heard the frequent discharging of muskets and the yells. Yet I sat there among the branches as safe as in the arms of Jesus. Never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly in my soul than when the moonlight flickered among those chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I told all my heart to Jesus. Alone, yet not alone. If it be to glorify my God, I will not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree, to feel again my Savior's spiritual presence, to enjoy his consoling fellowship. If thus thrown back upon your own soul, alone, all alone, in the midnight, in the bush, in the very embrace of death itself, have you a friend that will not fail you then. John Patton had what Asaph had, a contentment in God's nearness that could face great uncertainty. So what if you could look into an uncertain future and say, this year, I might lose my job. I may not get the diagnosis I'm hoping for. My kids may continue to struggle. I may not get this debt paid off. But that is not where I find my ultimate good. The nearness of God is my good. I can lose anything and remain content. Doesn't mean loss doesn't affect me. It doesn't mean I won't weep and grieve at the things I lose. But loss can never destroy me because I have God and I can never lose him. True flourishing is not having money and health and family and freedom. True flourishing is having God and being content in him. Do you have that? Can you say with Asaph, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever? Maybe you have a hard time being confident in God's love and nearness because you have fallen short. You might say, well, this says that God is good to the pure in heart, but that's not me. This says that God puts an end to everyone who's unfaithful to you. That sounds a lot more right. How can I know that God will receive me into glory? Please know that your performance, your obedience, can never secure your entrance into glory. We have all fallen short. None of us is pure in heart. But someone who is perfectly pure in heart has opened a way into God's presence for us. God's son Jesus came from heaven and lived a perfect life, perfect purity of heart. And at the end of it, when he should have been received into glory, he was instead swept away like the wicked. He died a sinner's death on the cross for you in your place. And if you trust in him, if you put your faith in him, God will count you as righteous in his sight as Jesus himself. And you will be as welcome in God's eternal presence as the son of God. You will be able to know that God is continually with you in the fullness of his power and the fullness of his love. Asaph says in verse 28, I have made the Lord God my refuge. He found in God a refuge from death. And what he couldn't have known yet, but what we know now, is that that refuge from death is Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. Our Father, we know 
that we should be content in you. We know that you should be all we need, and yet that's hard for us. And our hearts latch on to things in this world that we want, and we want so badly we feel like we can't live without them. We can't be happy unless we have this thing. Our hearts stray, and they wander. But you are the strength of our heart. And so I pray, Father, that even even in this moment, as we look to you in these coming moments, as we sing to you, as we open your word tomorrow morning or tonight before bed, that as we worship you, that you would be the strength of our heart, that you would pull us back from the things we've latched onto and help us to find our satisfaction and our contentment in you and your nearness alone. Help our hearts to say, the nearness of God is my good. Thank you, Jesus, that you have made that all possible. We pray in your name. Amen.